Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 4 of the Lightning Insider Podcast. I am Eric Erlinson, your host from Lightning Insider Com, and we're going to recap game number four between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Tampa Bay go on to win this game 2-1. to one. They now have a 3-1 to one series advantage. Game five, a potential clinching game for Tampa Bay, will take place on Wednesday. Please note that is a noon start. Don't shoot the messenger here. It's a noon start. There are three games in the Eastern Conference on Wednesday. Uh, Tampa Bay and Columbus will be at noon. Boston, Carolina will be the 4 o'clock game. And then Montreal, Philadelphia, which actually play on Tuesday, will be the nightcap. So, again, Game 5 between Tampa Bay and Columbus, and an opportunity for Tampa Bay to advance into the next round, will come on Wednesday, and that is a noon start. Uh, as always, if you ever have any questions that you want to be included in this podcast, find me on Twitter. My handle is at Eric underscore Erlinson. It's at E-R-I-K underscore E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. Use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter. We get a couple of those questions that we will get to a little bit later on here uh, on the show. But uh, remember, you can always, always do that. So a few points to kind of talk about in this game. Obviously, the Yanni Gord, Barclay Gaudreau, and Blake Coleman line has been really, they've been fantastic all series. We've talked about them a lot. Their possession numbers are just off the charts. I remember in game two, they were 20 to 1 in shots for versus shot against. Uh, So they've just been absolutely fantastic. They got a big reward today. Uh, Barclay Goodrow getting his first goal in a Lightning uniform. Second time this series they've scored on the opening shift of a period. Remember they did it back in game one that tied the game at one apiece. Of course, that also helped. uh, Sorry, it was 2-2. That also helped send that game uh, into a five-overtime situation. Uh, Again, they do it today in a 0-0 game where Barclay Goodrow, again, gets his first goal in a line uniform just 14 seconds into the second period that gave Tampa Bay a one nothing lead at the time. Yanni Gord gets a deflection off of Kevin Shattenkirk, shot to make it 2 nothing a few minutes later, uh, and that ends up being the game-winning goal in a 2-1 to decision for Tampa Bay. And if you want to read more about that line in particular and what they've done in this series and sort of the genesis of how John Cooper and everybody else kind of put that together. I encourage you to go over to lightninginsider.com. That'll be my recap for the game is talking specifically about that line, what they've done in this series and why they've had success and a couple of really good lines from uh, John Cooper and Kevin Shattenkirk uh, in that story. So make sure you check that out. Again, lightninginsider.com. There are two plans. You can sign up $40 for a year or $4.99 a month. 
So I encourage you to check that out. So that's obviously a big part of this game. There's a couple of other moments that took place in this game as well that ended up being huge factors or potential factors in the game. And the first one, we cannot ignore the start of this game. You knew Columbus was going to come out ready to go. They were going to be hungry. Down 2-1 in the series, there's a big difference between 2-2 and 3-1. They didn't want to go down because they know that they don't really have the firepower. And quite frankly, they might not have the energy to try and come back from a 3-1 series deficit. So you knew they were going to come out uh, and try and have a fast start, especially after the way Game 3 went. I mean, it takes a lot for John Tortorella to essentially admit that his team is tired. I mean, I've heard uh, Aaron Portsline, who's with The Athletic, has covered the Blue Jackets since their inception. And he's talked a lot about, you know, don't tell the players that they're tired. Stop talking to them into being tired. Well... He used to use that same line back in 2007 when Tampa Bay faced the New Jersey Devils in the opening round of the playoffs. At the time, New Jersey was a two-seed. Tampa Bay was a seven-seed. You know, they relied heavily on Brad Richards and Marty St. Louis and Vinny LeCavalier and Dan Boyle in particular. Those guys logged a lot of ice time, and we kept asking, you know, can can those guys keep playing 24, 25, 26 minutes a night? And he kept saying, you're not going to talk him to being tired. You're not going to talk him to be pirate, being tired. Stop asking me the question. So for him to come out after game three and all but admit his team had hit a wall, and look, it's understandable. The, the Columbus Blue Jackets have played a ton of hockey. I mean, you think about it. They played a five-game series against Toronto in the span of eight days. So you played five games in eight days in a qualifying round. Two of those games went to overtime. One of them went deep into the first overtime before Columbus won game three with about a minute and a half to go on a Pierre-Luc Dubois goal. And then you have, they get a turnaround in that series on a Sunday night by Tuesday afternoon, a three o'clock start, they have to start their next round. And then that king goes to five overtimes you can understand, you can understand no matter how much John Tortorella and the Blue Jackets, everybody else want to say they're not affected by that. How can you not be affected by it? I thought it was very noticeable in game three. So for, for Torts to come out and say, you know what, we kind of hit a wall a little bit, I think gives you a very good insight into what happened to that team. So I'm sure there was a good pep talk. The team did not have a practice yesterday. Uh, they still try to recover. The Lightning are sort of in that same boat even though they didn't have played quite as much hockey as Columbus has. But they had a day off to try and find some energy for this game. And they found it. I mean, Columbus was came out really good. You could see, and Kevin Shattenkirk talked about this after the game, they adjusted their game plan a little bit. They adjusted a little bit of who they were. And they came out. You think about it. How much space did the Lightning have in games one and two of the series? It wasn't a lot especially through the middle areas of the ice. They had a hard time getting through the neutral zone and then trying to establish a forecheck because Columbus just would not allow the Lightning to come through and generate with speed, and they would force dump-ins. You know, And then if you're going to try and pull up, you're going to kind of play right into Columbus's hands. Well, in Game 3, Tampa Bay came through the middle areas of the ice with a lot of speed on a lot of occasions, and that's why you had such a huge disparity in the shot attempts. You know, the shot attempts for that game were 74-34 to in favor of Tampa Bay. We, we also know that Columbus only had seven shots on goal over the final two periods. So you could see that wall that John Tortorella was talking about. Today, it wasn't there. Today, Columbus came out firing. They came out quick. They came out 
putting shots on net, and they actually took the lead in this game. They actually took the lead in this game. Only about, I didn't write the time down, so forgive me. Just a couple of minutes into the game, as Zach Wierenski, and this is somebody, if you watch the pregame show, Brian Engblom talked about a lot because of the impact that Zach Wierenski can have. He figured that Wierenski was going to be much more active. This is a 20-goal scorer from the back end, and he just figured that he'd be more active. Well, he made an unbelievable inside-out play on Alex Kalorn to get a backhand shot, and Oliver Bjorkstad was wide open for a rebound. He puts the puck in the net. But just before that, on the, on the entry play, Columbus was offsides, and i got to give credit to my son. He spotted it right away. He even said to me, that's coming back. It's offsides. Sure enough, Tampa Bay challenges it, and I believe it was Alex Texier at the near boards had his back skate up as he came in the zone. That is offside. The goal was negated, and I think that that was a huge shift in the game a little bit because Columbus came out and did exactly what they wanted to do, exactly what they needed to do to put themselves back into the series, and they get the goal. They got the goal they needed. They wanted that first goal to kind of see how things were going to go, and they got it, and then you have it taken away. I hate to bring this up with you Lightning fans, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's similar to Game 6 of the 2016 Eastern Conference Final, right? Tampa Bay has a chance to win the series. They're up 3-2 on home ice. They get an early goal. You can see them. They're pressing. They're pressing. They don't want to have... Uh, give Pittsburgh an opportunity to, to dictate play and set the tone. So the Lightning came out, and boom, they get it. They get the opening goal. Oh, wait. Jonathan Drouin's skate, trailing skate, was up off the ice. That's offside. Now, the interesting part about all this is that there's a recommendation that needs to go to the rules committee, which won't happen until after this is done, so October, early November, that they're going to change the offside rule that as long as you haven't broke the plane, which means that back skate can lift up and trail, be off the ice as long as it still hasn't broken the plane of the blue line, it'll be considered an onside play. For now, it's an offside play. And Brian Garlock and Nigel Kerwin, who are the video coaches for the light, he flagged that one right away, got the message to John Cooper and the coaching staff to know, hey, this play was offside. So you could see there wasn't any hesitation at all on the Lightning's part, to challenge that call. And you take away a goal from Columbus, they're already up against it anyway. And you take that away from them, it's like, oh, You just kind of have that exasperated sound collectively come out as a team. And they had it. So that's a huge uh, bump for Tampa Bay to take that goal off the board. As the period went on, I thought Tampa Bay started to find their legs. But again, they did not start the game very well. You know, I like to kind of look at flow charts and see how the flow of the game went. That's why it's called a flow chart. And you can kind of see in the early stages of this game, going up to about the 15-minute mark, it's pretty much all Columbus. And in fact, I'm, I'm looking at the chart right now on natural stat trick. And it literally, it, it looks like a, a building 
like Empire State Building, and, and it kind of raises and it peaks. And at one point, Columbus is almost uh, you know nine more shot attempts in Tampa Bay, and that's an indicator again of how the game is going. And you can see it tilting in Columbus's favor. So it wasn't until late that Tampa Bay started to get their legs back, but you can imagine how the game would have looked had Columbus had that first goal start. So kudos to Brian Garlock and Nigel Kerwin for noticing that and getting the message to John Cooper and the staff and challenging that play because it ends up being a huge difference in the game. Now, the Goodrow line again, the Gord line, Goodrow and Coleman, come out as they have in almost every period in this series. I have to go back and check it. I think I saw there might be one one period in this series where they were not the first line on the ice. Other than that, they've been out there. Well, we saw it in game... One, they score 23 seconds into the period. Today was 14 seconds into the second period. Gives Tampa base uh, momentum, gets the goal. I mentioned Kevin Shattenkirk put a puck off the shaft of Yanni Gord's stick on a nice deflection. Gives Tampa Bay a 2-0 lead. Now, here's a curious part. Columbus comes right back and cuts the deficit in half. It's a four-on-four situation. And there's a net drive... Cam Atkinson, I think, who had missed the previous two games, gets uh, a puck on a stick and it kind of deflects or pops over Andre Vasilevsky. But you can see on the play, was there goalie interference on that? And I know my first reaction was, that looks pretty clear to me. It looks absolutely clear to me that it's goalie interference. So you're wondering, do the Lightning challenge that play again? I would have. I would have done it. But John Cooper and the staff did not. And it was interesting to hear him talk about it after the game. And in fact, rather than me explaining to it, I'm going to let him explain it to you right here. This is John Cooper talking about the fact that they chose not to challenge the first Columbus goal at that point in the game. Oh, there's a lot of things. Uh, First of all, you need to be, I always look at those and (laughs) is it a sure thing? It's like the offside. So the offside was a sure thing. We challenged that. I didn't think it was a sure thing. Uh, Atkinson initially was was in the white paint. Uh, yes, was their contact. There's no doubt he was going he was going hard to the net. Uh, but for me, it wasn't a game changer. And plus, we had the lead still. Um, scores different. Maybe I think a little bit differently. But uh, I don't think that we have to put ourselves in harm way. And, and give up a power play for potentially now the score being tied when we still have the lead as it was. And, and I thought we, uh, you know, we were playing well enough defensively that I thought we could, uh, we didn't need it. And, you know, fortunately we didn't. So that's John Cooper's explanation of why they chose not to challenge that play. Again, key moments in games, right? Like, okay, it's 2 1. Yeah, you kind of lost some momentum because you built that 2 nothing lead. And then you listen to the explanation on why they chose not to, and it makes sense because, let's face it, offside calls are pretty cut and dry for the most part. There's certainly some that you go, well, why didn't they overturn that or why was that overturned? You can see that. Goalie interference is a completely different situation. It's it's literally, it's a 50-50 shot. I mean, it has to be so blatant and exaggerated that... It has to stand out, and I thought that one did. I felt it kind of did, but then, you know, you hear about it, you listen to John Cooper, and you understand why he didn't, because if you 
are not, as he said, it wasn't a sure thing. So if he feels that way, if he thinks about it that way, and you're wrong, like if you make that challenge, if you're not 100% sure about it, and you're wrong, remember this is a rule change, this would put Columbus on a power play. So do you want to risk that situation? Do you want to say, and not only would it have been in a power play, it would have been a four-on-three. Remember, we were in a four-on-four at that moment. So the rationale makes perfect sense when you start to hear about it that way. So again, key moments in game. So if you miss it, Columbus is on the power play with an opportunity to make it a, a tie game. So, and look, the Lightning have, have played well. They just put on a clinic defensively, I think, in game three to take the series lead, especially you know when Columbus made it 3-2 early in the third period. The Lightning just completely dominated, so they felt comfortable and confident in the way that they were playing, that they could do it again. And it wasn't exactly the same as it was in Game 3 in terms of how they, they dominated the puck possession because Columbus did have it a little bit in the third. They had some opportunities. I wouldn't say that they were necessarily dangerous. I think the best chance came um, during a, a line change as Pierre-Luc Dubois came off the bench and had a pretty good look coming down the right wing. He he was trying to aim it far side, which is something he did against Toronto. And I, and I think that Andre Vasilevsky got just enough of the puck to ensure that it went wide. But besides that, that was it. Because the shot attempts in the third period, and this is all situations, so this includes when Columbus had a uh, six-on-five at the end and it was a five-on-five. Five. They got a too many men in the ice call with just over a minute to go um, after that. But this is all situations in the third period. The shot attempts were 16-13 in favor of Columbus. So, yeah, they had the puck a little bit more, and the shots were 8-4. to four. But here's the thing. The scoring chances, they only gave up five scoring chances in the third period. Eight in the first, nine in the second, just five in the third. That's an indicator... And again, scoring chances can be subjective in some ways. Some coaches will judge scoring chances differently than, you know, some of these websites that are out there for sure. Um, but according to the one that I look at, it's five. They only only held them to five. And that's as Columbus is trying to push. And then you could really see in the last six, seven minutes of the game, that's when we saw the Tampa Bay Lightning from the previous game in the third period where, and I like the term that, that Brian Engblom used, defending all over the ice, not just kind of sitting back in the shell, waiting for them to come at you, and then try and defend that way. They were de- there was a lot of defending, quote-unquote, going on in the offensive zone because they were putting just enough pressure on the puck to create turnovers to prevent Columbus from getting out clean and getting opportunities off the rush. You know, And when they did, rather than quote-unquote cheating and looking for the next goal, they got the puck in deep. So, again, textbook sort of way to close out a game again. They did it in game three. They do it again here in game four. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. All right, the other thing that we need to bring up is two hits that took place in this game, both delivered by Columbus. And we can 
debate the officiating. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm not going to debate the officiating. But there was a hit that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois put on Alex Kalorn early in the third period where he clearly hits him in the numbers from behind and Kalorn goes down pretty hard. You could tell he was a little bit dazed, got a little bit of a look at from uh, team trainer Tom Mulligan. And he was okay, but it's a dirty hit. It's a dirty hit. I, I even said it is that a borderline major because it's a blatant hit between the numbers. Turned out to be a two-minute call, gave Tampa Bay a power play, and, and quite honestly, the only power play opportunity they had in this game because the you know, I don't really count the one at the end. You know, Columbus got a too many men with a minute seven left, but this was the only power play opportunity that the Lightning really had in the game. And they didn't take advantage of it, but boy, they have a couple of really, really good looks on it. Um, I, I take that back. It was their second power play because Pierre-Luc Dubois had one for slashing early or late in the second. So I correct myself there. Uh, that was the one they had some great looks on. Pat Maroon had two chances. I don't know how Corpusalo got him. I think Tyler Johnson had a rebound chance as well. So they had some good looks on that power play. Didn't have a ton of good looks on the third period power play. But they they generated shots, um, you know, puck possession down in the Columbus zone. So uh, not a momentum turning power play, but you know they did get a power play out of that. Could have been a five in my opinion. They only judged it a two. Here we go. Now the bigger concern is the one that Nick Foligno delivered to Mikhail Sergachev late in the game. First of all, I don't know how in the world this wasn't a penalty. I don't know how, I believe it was Wes McCauley, who was standing right there, looks at that play and goes, play on. And I didn't see it, but I had people tell me on Twitter that McCauley was basically chastising Sergachev, telling him to get him up, which, which basically you're implying that he's just simply trying to draw a call. But when you go back and look at the replay, again, it is a clear drive with the elbow behind the numbers, face first into the glass, raises up as he delivers the hit and puts his elbow into the back of Mikhail Sergeyev's head and his face goes hard into the glass. I mean, those are concussion-type hits. Was it violent? No, because there wasn't a charging. He didn't, you know, it wasn't that typical really hard come, somebody comes skating in from behind, but there was certainly enough leverage and enough speed and enough power, Nick Foligno's a big guy, to generate what he did and for the official to look at it and basically imply that Sergeyev was diving has to be a little mind-boggling, if you will. It has to drive the coaching staff of the Lightning crazy. It has to drive the players crazy because, again, this is a series, I'll say it, they got two quote-unquote power play opportunities out of the game today, technically three if you want to count the too many men. So it's going to look good on the stat sheet. But going into this game, they had seven power play opportunities in 13 periods of hockey in a series in which they've had the puck 60%, over 60% of the time. And yet, they're not getting the power play opportunities. And I understand situational play, but how can anybody in a 
a role of an official look at that play and go, that's good. Play on. Get up. Let's go. Keep playing. And I'm really curious, and I don't know when you're listening to this, um, because if there is going to be a ruling, if there is going to be a judgment, if you will, from NHL player safety, then it's going to come before Wednesday's Game 4. And that'll be a noon start, so there's going to be a quick turnaround here uh, for these two games. I'm curious to see how NHL player safety views this play. Because to me, it's a suspendable hit. And remember, Nikita Kucherov had a deserved suspension last year for the hit he put on, and I forget who it was, Nudavara. Marcus Nudavara was the defenseman that Nikita Kucherov hit and, and got a suspension for Game 3 of that series. So I'm curious how NHL player safety is going to view this because to me, again, it's a suspendable hit for the factors that I just talked about. It's a clear hit between the numbers, right between the 9 and the 8, if you will. He raises up off the ice, not in a violent fashion, but you can see he's delivering it with power, and then the elbow delivered to the back of the head, smashes his face, thank God he has a face shield, into the glass. I've seen much worse end up in suspensions. This is the playoffs. Sometimes we tend to know the rule book is a little bit different, but we'll see. We'll see if there's any sort of discipline come forthcoming for Felino uh, going forward. Because to me, I think it absolutely deserves some sort of supplemental discipline on the play. All right, uh, a couple of other things I want to touch on in this game. Uh, face-offs. Face-offs were a big-time issue for Tampa Bay. And I've had a lot of people ask me about Mitchell Stevens and you know why isn't Mitchell Stevens in there. Mitchell Stevens' face-off percentage, just so you know, in his two in the first two games that he's played, his, his face-off percentage, zero. Zero. Yeah, can he win face-offs? Yes, he can. He was pretty good at it when he was up during the regular season. However, it was zero in this, in this series in the first two games. So I don't think the team was missing Mitchell Stevens in that capacity. Now, who they do miss is Steven Stamkos. And he is the right-handed shot in that right circle to take draws, especially in penalty kill situations that they do miss. Because remember, Steven Stamkos is the 55 to 56 in that range uh, face-off performer. And the reason it was such a big issue today, in the first period, Tampa Bay went 0 for 11. 0 for 11 in the face-off dot in the first period. And for the rest of the game, they, fin- they, they climbed all the way up to 29% in the face-off circle. Boone Jenner, 11 for 12 on face-offs. That cannot continue. Pierre-Luc Dubois, 9 for 15. That can't continue. They have to find a way to start winning some face-offs on a more consistent basis. And it hasn't been a big issue in the series to date. But there have been a couple of games where they've been 44 Four percent. I believe there was one period somewhere earlier uh, in the series. They were around twenty percent in a period. I mean, that's just giving up too much puck possession. It's way too much. Braden Point struggled today. He's only three for thirteen. Yanni Gord was their best, most consistent performer. He was actually five for twelve. That's only forty-two percent. 
Tyler Johnson, 2 for 7, 29%. Uh, you know, 0 for 4, Barclay Goodrow, who is a, a center by nature sometimes. Um, you have to. You have to start winning some faceoffs. You can't continue to lose puck possession in this manner. So, have, have to be better uh, in that area. And then the power play. Uh, again, you can debate the calls. You can debate. Okay, let's debate it. They're not getting. They're not getting calls. I, I have an exchange with uh, somebody. Um, I believe it's Jason. Um, Jason Woods on my Twitter feed, and we kind of go back and forth with a lot of the calls that aren't being made. And it's like it has to be infuriating to see these calls not made. If you're a Lightning fan, if you're a Lightning coach, if you're a Lightning player, in any of this. So. Uh, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me how they can't, with all the puck possession they've had in the series, they didn't have it today. This is the one game, you know, we mentioned the shots. The shots are one thing, and then there's certainly an indicator. And this is the only game that Columbus has outshot Tampa Bay to this point. The shots were 29-22. But it's also the game, the only game where they have outpossessed Tampa Bay. Remember, the Lightning have had more than 60% possession in every single game of the series leading into today. And this is the only day Columbus had more shot attempts than Tampa Bay, and it was by one. Shot attempts were 51 to 50. And ironically, this is the game where Tampa Bay, well, the overtime game, they had four power play opportunities, but that was basically two and a half games (laughs) since it went, you know, seven and a half periods. So they have to find and give them credit. They're not getting frustrated by it. It hasn't cost them in any of these games so far. Uh, Columbus has scored a couple of power play goals, but they didn't get any today. Uh, the penalty kill was strong, but it just you just have to start to wonder about when uh, this is going to turn around because I'll say it again, fifth most power play opportunities during the regular season were the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right, let's get to your questions. I have a couple of them uh, that have come in that we want to get to again looking ahead to game four against uh, Columbus, which will be on Wednesday. That's August the 19th at noon. At noon. So, uh, all right, uh, from JN6500, did you ever feel when Columbus got on the board that the momentum would quickly quickly turn in Columbus's favor quickly? Um, it's a concern. It's a concern. Like, it, what do we talk about a lot when you score a goal and the other team scores before the announcer can even make the announcement of who scored the goal for your team? We see that happen quite a bit. Um, So, yeah, you do worry about that. But, again, I just like the way the Tampa Bay has defended in this series and that especially with the way the Goodrow, um, Gord, and Coleman line has worked, that they can get momentum back and and seize it, seize it from happening, right? I think that they can do that. Um, so I wasn't, uh, it's not, it, it wasn't a drastic concern when it happened, but it is something to kind of keep an eye on. Um, from Andres, do you believe the NHL reviews that hit? Yes. Well, look, I'll say this NHL player safety. Anytime there's a borderline hit like that, even if it's not a call, even if it doesn't result in a power play or in a penalty for the uh, offending player, they still review all these hits. So it will definitely be reviewed. It's just a question of how it's going to look. Uh, when they look at it and get in there and kind of break it down and whether it warrants more. I think it does. We'll see what the league has to say. 
Uh, from Stephanie, even though these wins aren't pretty, has this team shown they can play any style of hockey and getting it done? Have they learned their lesson from last year? Well, the results are only going to show whether they have or not. I think what you have to kind of look at and say whether or not they've learned their lesson is the moves they made to address some of what they learned their lesson on last year. You know, you mentioned the addition of Pat Maroon and what he means and what he's done um, and what he's capable of doing. Uh, the addition of Goodrow and Coleman, I think, have been huge. Uh, I think you're seeing why in this series they went out and paid the price they did for those two players. Uh, they're getting the reward on the scoreboard. The two goals today, Yanni Gord had the goal in game one, but there's just so many more elements to their game that they bring, and I think that's the lesson that they've learned. They, their style's a little different. They look a little different. They feel a little different, and that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted to have a different look and a feel on the ice. And again, if you want to read more about that Gord line and the job they did today, please go to lightninginsider.com to check it out. Um... Also from Andres, do you think NHL player safety will review the Felino hit and any action will be taken? Seems like a couple of pretty uh, obvious malicious steps taken in that hit. Yeah, we discussed that one and broke it down. I, I do believe, look, it'll get looked at one way or the other. It's just a question of how player safety is going to view it. Uh, from Al, uh, I know this is a long ways off, but do you think it is fair for Eastern Conference teams to have to go to Edmonton for the finals, basically giving the West complete home ice? Um... Look, there's no there's no home ice in this situation. There, there isn't. There's last change. So actually I this I look at it from a different point of view. By the time we get to the conference finals, and we're still another five weeks away from that, three weeks away from that, four weeks away from that, whatever it is, I think it'll actually be a fresher feel for the Eastern Conference teams because they'll at least get a change of scenery. Right? They're very contained in this bubble that they're in. And again, the COVID um, test results have come back. It's another week of zero results out of 5,200 tests administered between the 9th and the 15th of August. So you see the bubble is working and they're very contained. They only have a a certain number of places that they can go. Uh, There's only a certain number of restaurants that they can go. They have BMO Field in Toronto. But when they get to Edmonton, I think in some ways you're going to feel a little rejuvenated because it'll be a different look and a different feel. So I think that's actually going to be a little bit of an advantage for the Eastern Conference teams because it won't be as mundane, if you will. Uh, Last question from Bob. Uh, Today we noticed uh, the Lightning really finishing their checks to the point it was quite noticeable. Do you think that was part of their plan to wear down an already physically and mentally tired team in Columbus? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you need, especially Wierenski and Jones. They play so many heavy minutes, not just minutes. They play heavy minutes, important times in games, everything. I think absolutely it has to be your game plan. It, it's, it's always kind of a game plan going into a series for teams. Finish your checks, finish your checks. I think in some ways that's where Tampa Bay kind of got away from who they were last year. I think they went out of their way sometimes to finish checks and try and be a physical team. Maybe when it wasn't part of their their DNA, a little bit more part of their DNA this year. uh, And they're just finishing their checks. And I think it's so important to do that. You know, there are certain teams, think about Anaheim a number of years ago. In fact, in 2015, when Anaheim and Chicago played each other, I believe Ryan Kessler had the line 
where he said, no team is going to be able to withstand the punishment that we're going to bring them. And he was talking about the, you know, the, the Blackhawks. Then that's their idea. Wear them down. Get your, um, wear them down physically the deeper it goes into a series. So there's no doubt that in this series here, a team that is already tired, especially coming off the overtime game uh, in game one, it's absolutely game plan. And it's part of what you want to do. It's always a part of your strategy. So uh, there's no doubt, Bob, that that is exactly what Tampa Bay is trying to do. That's what they need to do, uh, even in the next series. The, the key, there's always a balance there. You don't want to wear yourself out trying to do it too much, but at the same time making sure that the opposing team absorbs as many hits as humanly possible. All right, that is going to wrap up today, uh, this post-game four podcast again look for a post-game podcast again on Wednesday that is a noon start Tampa Bay and Columbus game five Tampa Bay has an opportunity to advance to the second round for the first time since 2018 uh, so I will again I'll be back with that that game will be on Fox Sports Sun uh, of course nationally it'll be on NBC Sports Network uh, so make sure you look for that so again thanks everybody as always for the questions I'll tag uh, everybody uh, anytime you ask a question, I'll make sure that you know the podcast is up. So look for these after every game, after every playoff game that Lightning play. Uh, hopefully that means deep into September and October. That means we're still talking a lot. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, give it a five-star review. Let's get this podcast going. I really appreciate the sport. Every subscription, every review, uh, high-quality review helps me out. So make sure you do it. All right, we'll be back uh, after Wednesday for the Lightning Insider Podcast. I'm Eric Erlinson. Until then... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.